0: Welcome to the Misfit Stars Podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hello, listeners. Hello, Shannon. Hi, honey.
1: Hi. So nice to be here with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People, later on in this episode, we are going to be continuing to talk about sobriety and recovery. We had a really positive response to last week's episode and we thought that we would use that as a jumping off point to delve into this topic a little bit more.
0: Yeah you know like I know we talk about our recovery all the time it's like an integral part of our lives obviously so we talk talk about it a lot Mm -hmm. here but it dawned on me um, that we like some people who listen to this podcast have heard sort of how we each got into recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't talked about it really specifically here in a long time. And, um, and it's good to revisit.
1: Yeah. So, so this week we're going to be doing Shannon's origin story. <laughs> and uh, I like think- a
0: superhero origin story, but it's for recovery. <laughs> yeah. I like <laughs> yeah.
1: it. I think it'll be illuminating. Uh, people, Misfit Stars is how our people, that's you. I call you people. It's right right there in the name. It's how you support our work. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast are monthly supporters of ours through our Misfit Stars community. And we can't tell you over and over enough how grateful we are for you. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: In this weird pandemic time where we can't do a large portion of the work that we usually do, i.e. touring and playing shows for people, this has been... Like revolutionary for us in terms of our continued ability to like live indoors and eat food regularly, it's a big deal. You know, I, I speak about it lightheartedly, but really, like you, you supporters are the foundation of our current stability, and we're so grateful for you.
0: Totally, and also, their support has been uh, sort of revolutionary in terms of allowing us to rethink some of the ways in which we do the work we do and yeah. not having to rely because we can't rely on touring for mm-hmm. our for a big part of our income uh, this support has enabled us to reimagine some of that which is pretty awesome it's
1: kind of the best I know that there are some people listening who hear this sort of advertisement part of our podcast every single week and you're like yeah I'm not doing that I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I enjoy taking from Shannon and Jamie. But do I want to give? No. No, I don't. Oh, that's
0: so harsh. Oh, man. I know, (laughs) right? That's so harsh.
1: (laughs) No, I kid. But seriously, if you've been listening to this and you maybe have had the thought in your mind, yeah, I've been meaning to do that, and then you just never do. We
0: know that you're well-intentioned.
1: We sure do. Yes, we do. We trust you more than my previous statement would have (laughs) led led you to believe. (laughs) Yeah, I was just making jokes. But seriously, people, uh, if you're one of the people who has been intending to become a supporter of what we do, but has just... Just not yet done it. We'd be really grateful for you doing that, mm-hmm. and you can do so at misfitstars.com/support. That's misfitstars.com/support. Yeah, thank please, you. Please do it. We uh, we could always use more supporters, and we would love to have you on board. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Shannon, do you have any announcements?
0: Announcements, announcements, announcements. That sounds like yes. Yeah, uh, there are a few announcements. Why don't you take the first one? Sure.
1: Actually? So mine is conditional. (laughs) So theoretically, our remix album and her song becomes a remix is coming out on all streaming services next Friday. Oh my gosh. And now I say that's conditional because- The 8th of October mm-hmm. is the next Friday, yeah. Yeah, which is also my sister's birthday. How auspicious. How neat. Yeah. We uh, have been experiencing a little back and forth with our distributor. A distributor is you know, an entity that gets your songs up on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. There have been. This is a complicated album because it's not just like a Shannon Curtis album. It's Shannon, but it's all these other people. It's 10 other people who did interpretations of her songs. And so getting all the crediting correct and just all the data for it has been really complicated. And so there's been some back and forth with the distributor about like exactly the right way to do it so it appears on everyone's pages properly. Mm. We're hoping it'll still come out next Friday. We're yeah, shooting yeah. for it. Yeah. If it does, great. If it doesn't, you know what? The world will keep turning. It's yeah. our goal. <laughs> I think that the distributor can do it. But also, I leave room for the idea that sometimes just things don't happen. So we'll, we'll see. It'll happen. Will it happen by next Friday? We're hoping. Yes, yeah, that's we'll, the goal. We'll keep you posted. Yeah. We'll yeah. probably know next Friday. <laughs> so we'll see. That's sometimes how the thing, that's how things go with this company. They're just like, yeah, we can probably do it. We're not sure. We'll let you know. And the way they let us know is that our, stuff, there. our stuff just shows up yeah. on Spotify. It's like, okay, I guess they did it. That's good. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah, so, okay. you
1: know, we're a very small fish and they're a very big pond and we get communicated with sort of in a way that you would expect for the smallest fish in a big pond. So we'll just have to see how that goals. goes.
0: Goals, hashtag goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the remix album will be on all streaming services next Friday. Yes. I, let's just put energy in that direction. Everybody right now. Yeah. Then it'll all work out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, there's going to be CDs for that. Mm-hmm. Just want to throw that out there. Yes. So do you have an announcement also?
0: I do. Uh, in uh, release announcements mm-hmm. uh, related, uh, the official release day for 202101 is Friday, October 22nd. Woohoo! That's just in a few weeks. Um, we're making a very limited run of CDs. Uh, you can message us if you want one, uh, want, want us to reserve one for you. Um if you're a member of Misfit Stars, uh, we'll just we'll send you one if you want it. Mm-hmm. It's just yours. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, if anyone else, if you're not part of Misfit Stars, first of all, what are you doing with your life? Did you just hear the thing I said earlier? Misfitstars.com slash join. Uh-huh. Um, but if you're not a member uh, and you want one or if you want to buy additional copies for gifts or things like mm-hmm. that, we will have them available. Uh, but we will let you know when and where you can get those. We're also, uh, in addition to, uh, in conjunction, with that album release. We're going to be doing a live online concert in celebration of that release on the evening of Saturday, October 23rd. Cool. So details will be coming soon about that, about what platform we're going to be on, the exact time of the show, uh, how to the link for tuning in, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so stay tuned for those details. But for now, you can just mark that on your calendar. The evening of Saturday, October 23rd, We're going to do a live show for you Mm -hmm. of 2021-01. It's going to be great. So there you go. Save the date. Save the date. And we have one more announcement. A
1: lot of announcements. I know. Very exciting. So uh, we have held open a bunch of slots for people to get personal songs from Shannon for the holidays. We're starting our advertising, our talking about this way in advance of the holidays. We've been talking about it for two weeks already and it's only the end of September. Mm -hmm. Usually we don't even start until like November. Right. The reason we're doing this is because we've heard from people over the years, oh man, I wish I'd known about this earlier. I already have, I already got my big Christmas gift or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. But this could be your big Christmas gift or whatever holiday you celebrate. Around you know the, uh, the the winter solstice, yeah. Maybe maybe you celebrate the solstice itself. Well, you know what? It makes a great solstice celebration. Song. Totally. Uh, we still have a bunch of slots available. Uh, we were in talks with one person, so I, we can say at this point we have probably nine personal songs that we can still do. Uh, and you know to help inspire and encourage you around the idea of what our personal songs why should I get Shannon to do a personal song for my loved one for the holidays? We're introducing a new temporary feature to this very podcast. It's going (laughs) to go for a couple of months. And this feature is called Personal Song Spotlight. I just made that up. It was good. Thank you. It sounded auspicious. Makes me want to hear about it. Yeah, definitely. So we're just going to later in the podcast share a personal song with you that we have done for somebody else previously. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the story behind it. We'll play you the song. Yeah. And they're all so meaningful and moving. And once Shannon shares the story, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And she captured all of their story in this song. It's uncanny. <laughs> you can also leverage this uncanny ability of Shannon's in your personal situation yes
0: so if you would like information about doing a personal song for somebody that you care about for the holidays mm-hmm. uh or or if really for any reason between now and the yeah. holidays we've got room for uh spots for 10 of these you
1: don't have to care about the person you could just be, you could be really <laughs> mad at them it's not our business what you get a personal song for
0: oh my gosh Imagine if someone's like, "Can you write me a hate song?"
1: Oh man, you could get a probably a pretty good side hustle going in revenge. Oh man, you could probably get a pretty good side hustle going in revenge songs. Oh my
0: gosh, I don't know if that's really my brand.
1: You could you could explore new things. My
0: my, like personal uh, vibe. It's not really. (laughs) <laughs> Not so much. Not so much. Yeah. But anyway, here you go. If you want to do a personal song, if, you are, if you'd like more information about it, I have uh, information that I can send you. You just need to send me an email... Uh, You can send it to Shannon at Mm MisfitStars.com. That works. And I will send you information about how the process works, what the different options are, Mm because there are a couple of options for these kinds of projects, and what the pricing for each of those options is. I will send you all that information and get you thinking even more about, uh, really, what will be the best gift you ever give. Ever. In your entire life. That's the downside to personal
1: songs. (laughs) Once you've deployed one... Like, you're never going to give a gift that good again. So really, you got to kind of make a commitment to peaking in your life. You
0: know, that's true, except for Mm. there are a few people who've come back for more. It's true. There are a few people who have had the experience of giving a personal song and then been like, oh, I want to do that again. And they give a song to somebody else in their life. So, like, there's precedent that, like, maybe you're peaking, but maybe you're starting a trend. I mean, like, either way, go ahead. I like it. Yeah. Definitely. So, personal songs. So, stay tuned in a little bit. We're going to give you our the first personal song spotlight, and I'm excited to share this one with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's very cool. So, Jamie, mm-hmm. how are you feeling today? You know what? Pretty good. I'm definitely
1: feeling urgency around getting these records released yeah. finally. It's all going really well, generally speaking, uh, I'm finally getting to do all the touch-ups on 2020 101 that mm-hmm. I've wanted to do for the last six months, and that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, you know, we had we had ten days to do each song, and we nailed well, we nailed all of them pretty much. But you know how sometimes, you know, you do something creative, and then you look back on it six months later, and you're like, oh, you know, this is good, but I can see a couple ways in which I could have improved it. Mm. I've had that experience over the last six months with I think about. Five songs on this record. Now, out of 11, that's great. It means we just nailed six. Mm. There's literally six songs that like the first version we put out, it's like, yep, that's still great. Sweet. And there's five where it's like, okay, just need to nip this, tuck this. We've been just kind of charging through them over the last like day and a half or so. Uh, I've got a more difficult child, one little problem child song. It's a great song. Love it to pieces. Just the very, very low end of the song is just giving me a little trouble. It's an engineering challenge. I can do it. How um, are you feeling about that? you know, uh, invigorated, generally speaking. Um, you know, so as, as far as work stuff goes, that's good. The rains have come. I've enjoyed that. That's been really fun. I won't lie. I'm a little, just, I'm harboring a little bit of worry about this week in national politics. Okay. It's... Uh, Not you know, unreasonable. There's a lot on the table. Uh, and I frankly... I'm not very optimistic that the Democrats are going to pull together and get it done. I think that there is a really troubling corporatist element inside what is a very big tent party. You know, the Democratic Party has a lot of different factions, Mm -hmm. which is good. I mean, that's how a political party should be. It should be broad and diverse. And the Democratic Party certainly is that. But, like, one of the factions is corporatists who don't necessarily work to serve their constituency as much as they work to do the bidding of a very small group of special interests. Of their donors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that has been sort of a cancer from the very, very beginning of American politics. Our system of government was founded with a set of assumptions baked in, uh, and one of those assumptions was that landowning elites all things being equal should have more of a voice than everybody else in how things go. And we're really seeing that continue to bear Mm -hmm. fruit like 200 and some odd years later. And, you know, you kind of... I kind of, in my mind, expect there to be more corporatism on the Republican side of things, Mm. just because conservatism and financial special interests tend to be very well-aligned. But we can't fool ourselves. There's also a huge amount of corporatism within the Democratic Party, too. Yeah. There are definitely some people in the Democratic Party who like, they're basically Republicans, but they're gay. Or like, they're basically Republicans, but they're not racist, you know? But that doesn't, to me, really kind of make you a Democrat exactly. It just means like you're a less bigoted Republican. <laughs> and we don't need those people in our party, but they're there and they're really causing us problems right now because we don't have a whole lot of margin for error. We really have no margin for error in the Senate in terms of getting this really critical legislation passed. It's kind of the one time it can happen. There's also all these other mitigating circumstances right now in other parts of how the government is functioning. There is, a we need continued funding for the government or it will shut down like this Thursday, tomorrow from the day we release this podcast. Mm-hmm. There's also, like, this debt ceiling, which is a really, like, arcane concept. I understand how it works. I'm not going to go through it here, but you can look it up elsewhere if you're curious. Bottom line, though, if we don't extend the debt ceiling, increase the debt ceiling within a couple of weeks, the— It'll tank the world economy. The government <laughs> will—the U.S. government will no longer be able to pay for the stuff they've already spent. It'll it's,
0: default on their loans. It's like default having it's like
1: having a credit card bill or a mortgage— and failing to make the third payment. It's kind of, you know, with a credit card or a mortgage, you miss the first payment, second payment, you get warnings, you get, you know, interest rate hikes. But the third one, they're like, okay, we're taking your house now. You know what I mean? And this is kind (laughs) of the we're taking your house place that this thing is at. And if
0: they don't get it resolved... uh, It would be massively horrible for not just the American... Like American lives, American mm-hmm. people's lives, and the economy here, but for worldwide, it would have it would have cat- catastrophic consequences. <laughs> it would be really bad. Yeah. and you know,
1: uh, Republican politicians in Washington are working to make this happen because they don't really fundamentally care about anything as much as they care about making democrats look bad making and also they pro- care about power and they care about proving that government can't work right that is an ongoing republican project i mean for the last like 40 years or so it's part it started with the reagan revolution and it has been their animating idea ever since to prove to go to washington to prove that washington can't work for people right and then work to get reelected on the premise of washington is broken and i can <laughs> it's really cynical it is and you know the point of making Americans believe that government can't work is then power gets reconsolidated from Americans into the hands of elites corporations and the wealthy Uh, you know, it's cynical, but also it works really well. And so given that that is the project that they're the most preoccupied with, this would be an amazing way to help accomplish it, right? To prove once and for all on a world stage that American democracy is just fundamentally flawed. But we're the ones who can fix it. (laughs) You know, uh, it's it's deeply, deeply troubling. And Mm -hmm. I feel troubled. The Mm -hmm. reason I'm talking about this in the, how are we feeling segment is that I think about this stuff. I feel concerned about it. I feel concerned, A, just right now in this week, because it's all kind of coming to a head this week and next week. And you know, it's, it's anxiety inducing for those of us who pay attention to these things. If you're listening and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't think about this stuff that much. You know what? Honestly, I envy you. I think that 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 would be a great place to be right now because I would feel less burdened. But I definitely do feel somewhat burdened by it, you know, because I care, because Mm -hmm. I pay attention. Mm -hmm. And if you care and pay attention, it's impossible, I think, in this moment not to feel concerned, and that's certainly where I'm at. I'm really working very hard to sort things into the, you know, into the two buckets that I talk about all the time of things I can control and things I can't control. And all this stuff I've just talked about, practically speaking, is very much in the bucket of things I can't control, but it doesn't mean that i'm perfect at that it doesn't mean yeah. that it still doesn't weigh on me i'm really using my tools i'm doing my best to separate myself from this and understand that i fundamentally can't influence the outcome but you know it mm-hmm. still tickles at the back of my imagination yeah. most of the time right now yeah
0: the very like the small the small thing you can do and that all of us can do is to call our congressional representatives and tell them what we want them to do yep that is something that you can do obviously your one phone call isn't going to be the thing that tips the scales for the outcome of this whole situation and in fact we happen to have a congressperson who I, i called last week and i got a letter in response uh saying that he actually does support the passage of these bills that we need to pass and so like he's he's aligned with what with with what we want to see happen here, which is great in this case, it is. Um, but but yeah, so it's just it's a small thing that we can do, but it is not something like that one phone call by itself isn't gonna like no. affect the outcome. But you know yeah. what?
1: If lots and lots of people call, like. Congress people particularly and also senators to a lesser degree do pay attention to this stuff and it can serve two purposes. One, it can make them feel constituent pressure and it takes way fewer phone calls than you might imagine to exert constituent pressure. It's not like getting a million phone calls is what it takes. Like getting 50 phone calls on a topic, they imagine, I think, I've read this, Mm. that for every one person who's calling or writing, there's a thousand who aren't. Ah. So it's kind of like a representative thing. So if they get you know, one call, they're like, ah, that's a rounding error. But if they get 50, they're like, that's like 50,000 people in my district reaching out to me about this. And maybe there's only 70,000 people in their district, right? right? So yeah. that can be a really big deal. Uh, if you want to call your congressperson, your senator, your uh, your representative, uh, the Capitol switchboard, the United States Capitol switchboard phone number is 202-224-3121. That's 202 224 Two, one. And you can just ask to speak with the senator, uh, one of the two senators, or your one congressperson. You just tell them where you're from and they'll hook you up.
0: Yeah. And specifically on the stuff that's that's, uh, on the table this week, you can tell them that you want Congress to pass. the big build back better agenda that President Biden has put forth. You want all of it passed.
1: Yes. There are two bills right now. They're, and they're moving on parallel tracks. There's a much smaller, quote unquote, hard infrastructure bill. And that's just roads, bridges, all the most remedial interpretations of the idea of infrastructure, physical stuff that needs fixing, potholes in roads. And that's important to get done for sure. But all of the stuff that's going to really transform our economy and make things better for people like you, really. Mm-hmm. Is in the bigger bill. It's stuff like childcare tax credits and elder care. Yeah, there's there's and expanded Medicare, free
0: community college. There is so for a free pre-K schooling, pre-K. All of the climate legislation, which we desperately need, and mm. I can talk about this when you ask me how I'm feeling today, because this is part of how I'm feeling today. Do you want to segue smoothly into that? Sure. Yeah. You know, um, I overall I'm feeling overall I'm feeling pretty good, and I can talk about sort of like a general mood, but related to this to this legislation. And this mm-hmm. morning, I was reading just about this—the idea that the, the the stuff that's in this Build Back Better bill that is uh, targeted at climate action, which we need <laughs> to combat climate change. Um, this is really our one chance. Like, the planet is burning. The planet is the we are we are headed toward absolute planetary disaster, and that is not hyperbole. Yeah. Like we're really on a we're on a train going down a track and there's been no brakes applied so far and we're headed for a cliff. Like it is it's really dire. Yeah. And it does require action by the whole world, but the the world's action on climate change doesn't happen without the United States. No. We've actually contributed more to global warming as a country than any other nation like we just because over historically over the last number of decades like since the industrial revolution like mm-hmm. we've been we're the ones we're largely to blame yeah. <laughs> you know which means we have a large responsibility and it won't the change that we need in policy to reduce emissions of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere it won't happen the worldwide need here, won't happen without the United States effort. This bill, the stuff that's in this bill is the folks who know what they're talking about with climate science have said that the stuff that's in this bill is probably not far enough. Mm-hmm. But it is the it is the opportunity to do the most action that that the United States has the opportunity to do. And it's our last chance to do this because Republicans have exactly zero interest in, in doing anything about climate change. It's like they've got their hands permanently, fingers permanently stuck in their ears, singing la 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 about the fact that our planet is freaking burning. Yeah. They do not care. They are they care only about the fact that you know, fossil fuel companies and oil companies can continue to continue to make gajillions of dollars every year from us burning fossil fuels. They they do not care that like we are we are careening toward our own demise. Yeah. They do not care. And there's a so faction
1: this- of them also that is really tied up with this really toxic evangelical idea that the planet was given to us by God to use.
0: Use up the resources here. Right? And so,
1: like, there's literally, like, a religious element to it with a whole bunch of these Republican lawmakers where they're like, well, I don't. I don't care if climate change is real. That's totally not the point for me. The point for me is that we were given these resources by God, and we're supposed to use them.
0: Yeah. Not just we can use them; it's, we're supposed to. That's a, why He gave them to us. It's a toxic view. It's a toxic view, even in terms of religious concerns, because there are a lot. There's there's so much precedent even in the Christian church, for people, for the direction from God being that we're supposed to be good stewards of the earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and clearly we're not doing that. So like, there, it's you're right, but that toxic, um, that toxic uh, theology or whatever you want to call Dominion it. Dominion theology. Phlo- yeah, is absolutely part of this. So my, as this relates to my feelings,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I found myself feeling a little bit like you. You were, you know, thinking about like the, the bills before Congress this week in a more general sense, specifically earlier today, I was thinking about the ramifications in terms of, of our planet and feeling just, you know, like when I start to feel hopeless, Hmm. (laughs) like I, I feel it in my body. Like I can feel this thing kind of pulling at my chest and I, I like, I can feel myself being pulled into mm-hmm. an abyss mm-hmm. of hopelessness about mm-hmm. something. And I noticed that when I was beginning to feel that earlier today and had to really be like conscious about that. And I, I've been, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, uh, shout out to Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and, <laughs> uh, and their sister, Amanda, who do the, we can do hard things podcast, um, they were talking about in this episode that I that I listened to about the idea of um, viewing your emotions as messengers, like they're they're here to bring you deliveries as as like bringing you a message about with information. Like, your feelings are like messengers of information, <laughs> and like rather than like being consumed by my feeling of of feeling hopeless about the planet. I was able to use that tool to be like, okay, I'm having a feeling right now about climate change and about what we're doing to our planet and how much on the brink we are of either doing something about it or not. And, um, and I was feeling that, and I was able to step back and just view that as information. Yes, that's true. And like you said, in talking about how you're feeling... A lot of this is out of my control, so I there's a there's a whole big portion of it that I have to set aside into the bucket of things I don't have the power to change, and uh, but you know like in the in the other bucket of things I do have the power to change, I I I do have the ability to. Uh, to call my senators and to call our our congressperson and share with them my views. We happen to have senators and a congressperson who agree with me on this issue, uh, which I'm grateful for. Are so they
1: doing enough to scream and raise a ruckus? Well, no, they are maybe, not.
0: Maybe maybe that's that's part of what I can Im- try to influence them to do. But you know, like I I, I I'm I have today. <laughs> As we're recording this today, I have been dealing with that feeling, like mm-hmm. oh my gosh, because when I think about like planetary destruction, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my next thought is like, well, what is any of this worth? Like, we sh- we wake up every day and we like do our work and we make our meals and we take care of our family. Like, if we're destroying the place where we live, what? Why? Why are we bothering with like keeping the wheels turning on everything else? You know what I mean? Like, that's where my sure. brain goes. Sure, and I don't know that. This seems like the number one priority. This seems like this ought to be a num- the number one priority for all of humanity. Um, and I you know another thing that I can that's in the bucket of things I can do is uh, I can share this with the people in my circle of influence. Mm-hmm. I can talk about it on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Hi, everybody. <laughs> you know, and 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 try to nudge other folks to take whatever little action they can in their corners of the world to influence the kind of big policy that we need. And hopefully, hopefully our, our elected representatives come through for us on this. I don't know if they will or not, but that's part of how I'm feeling. The other part of how I've been feeling and how I'm feeling today, I, I'm feeling good today. I have uh, noticed in myself over the last number of weeks that I have felt a bit at sea, kind of rudderless. I think I've talked about this on this podcast too. And I've... i I I have learned over in my recovery, haha, we'll be talking more about that later today, but I've learned in in as part of my recovery to to be able to identify feelings and then to be able to uh, to match that uh, match those feelings with a need that I'm experiencing and to identify that need and then to figure out what it is that I can do about meeting that need, mm-hmm. you know. And so I've identified in myself this feeling of rudderlessness and I have tied that to a need for more structure in my life. And so I have set about just just setting small goals for myself on a daily basis that help me feel like my life is a little bit more structured. Mm -hmm. And it's simple stuff. It's like, by starting off my day with my with doing exercises. It's my time. It's time for me to really get in my body and to, to stretch and move. And it really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. But sticking to that actually makes me feel better about everything else in general. Just, just the fact of showing up for that makes me feel better. The other small thing, like I call these my little small victories, <laughs> is is making like making a meal plan and stocking our fridge and having an idea of what i'm going to cook us for dinner for the next couple of weeks. And i know that sounds maybe that sounds stupid, but like for me what it does is it just provides it provides structure. Again, like i can go rather than like every day having to be like oh, I, what we have i'm hungry. I need to eat something like now. And but what am i going to make? And then having to like, you know, the, the it, it, it's torture to try to figure out what to make, you know? Mm-hmm. But if I can just go to my little list and be like, oh, here are the things I have ingredients for. It's like my own personal menu. I'm like, what do I, what sounds good? Oh, okay, I can make this today. And then I, prepare that meal for us. Typically the meals I make last us for a few days. So like I release myself of the tor- the daily torture of like oh my gosh, I'm hungry, must feed self, ah, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a small thing. It's a small thing, but like those two those two small things that I make goals for each day and if I make them, I can feel like I've got small victories. It just it just puts more just stabilizers around my life. And I feel more free to actually get the other parts of my life done. Like the work that I need to think about, the the sort of generating a new idea for a new album this next year, um, you know, uh getting ready for this this album release we're doing this this month and the show, all that kind of stuff. Next month. October, right? Uh this coming month, I should say. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just it just allows more those other things to flow a little more freely. Yeah. So I feel good because I have instituted the structure over the last couple of days and it has felt really good. Good. So I feel good.
1: You seem a little happier. You were kind of agitated about the structure thing a few days ago and you seem to have really effectuated a pretty quick turnaround on that. That's good. Yeah,
0: I feel it too. Nice job. So anyway... How about the good news machine? You want to fire that up? Because we've talked about some bad news <laughs> or some potentially bad news. But what, what do you have in your good you new news machine? I don't even
1: want to like judge it. It's just, it is what it is. Oh, sure. Okay. You know? it's, it's, it's objectively negative, but like also it's just objectively true. And it's important to, confront stuff, you yeah. know, regardless of how you feel yeah. about it. Uh, in my good news machine, this is very good news, actually. Uh, so you know how there was, uh, as part of the American recovery plan, that bill, that big bill that got uh, passed at the very beginning of uh, Biden's presidency. Oh, yeah, the rescue plan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what want mm-hmm. I say recovery, yeah, yeah. rescue. Uh, yeah. There was federal rental assistance for people, you know, yes. to help pay for uh, people to pay rent when they have been out of work forever. you Right, know? yeah. Because uh, a lot of people have been getting behind on rent because of the pandemic well great news like first of all here's what the news was before it was better the news over the past like many months was that there was this huge pot of money to be distributed and the agencies in charge of distributing it were just dragging their feet like not getting money into people's landlords pockets (laughs) which is where it needs to go it's just like it was just all slowed down and tied up the great news is that the distribution of federal rental assistance over the last month has begun to speed up dramatically. States and cities got nearly 1.4 million federal rental assistance payments out the door. Just in the month of August. Oh, how good. And that's a big deal. I mean, that's 1.4 million families who have some reprieve from this feeling of stress. <sighs> and like, great. these aren't loans, these aren't things they have to pay back. These are just bailout funds to help people get through this time. And why wouldn't we do that, right? Because if you think about who usually gets bailed out no matter what happens in this country, like if something good happens, we give money to rich people. If something bad happens, we give money to rich people. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's
1: like Washington's Washington politicians, and again, both both Republican and Democratic politicians are totally on board with this idea that you just use pretty much anything you can as an excuse to give public funds to rich people. Well, why don't we give some public funds to poor people? Yes. And that's what we're doing here.
0: That actually works better. And also We've rich people that. don't
1: need it because they're rich.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: So there's that. Anyway, there's that. that's very good news. What's, good in, what's in yours?
0: My good news machine item is that uh, the Los Angeles uh, uh, district attorney um George Gascon, is that how you mm-hmm. say his name?
1: You might not say it with such a weird accent, but...
0: Well, if I say it with that accent, I could sing a song from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah? Gascon, Gascon. <laughs> <laughs> well, sing more. Well, I can't remember the whole song, so okay. i sorry. Yeah. Anyway, yes, Anyone it's the same name. Anyone who knows <laughs> Disney songs will appreciate that. Uh, anyways, um, gosh, now it's in my head. Nobody... No, but he said that it did like Gaston. Uh, no, but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm wrecking it. I'm sorry, Disney fans. Also, is
1: it Gaston? It's
0: Gaston uh. in, in the the film. There this you is go. This is Gaston. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, this guy, <laughs> the, the district attorney, uh, he is uh, going to dismiss about 60,000 past marijuana convictions. Wow. Which is awesome. It's a, oh it's a big county and... Um, That's a lot of people. And, you know, one of the things that um, I have learned- That's just in the city.
1: DAs are by city.
0: Oh, so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was LA City. That's cool. Also Um, a huge city. Also a very big city. But anyway- uh, I, I had known this fact before. It was reinforced for me when we recently watched um, in our anti-racist book and movie club with Misfit Stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched the movie Thirteenth and discussed it yeah. um, a while back. And it's all about the uh, system of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, reinforced this idea that marijuana convictions uh, are a just a huge part of how uh, the system of mass incarceration. Has been oppressive to, in particular, people of color, mm-hmm. um, and so this this move to de- decriminalize marijuana is part of like, rectifying that situation. But also, as as states are decriminalizing marijuana, uh, like in the state of California, you can you can use marijuana recreationally and medicinally.
1: You can walk around with it in your pocket, right. and that's okay. If a cop stops you for something and they see a bag of pot sitting like
0: on your car seat. It's legal. It's fine. But the problem is it wasn't legal for a long time so there are all these people that have convictions uh, based on old law yep. that, that is no longer a law. So the just thing to do is to uh, dismiss those convictions mm. and clear those people's records because it's not, you know, even if they you know, served a little jail time or or maybe they didn't serve any time and they just had fines whatever, it is a it is a mark on their record which makes so many other things in their life more difficult. Renting an apartment, getting a job, applying for school, yeah. like so many, getting a loan, yeah. like so many things become exponentially more difficult if you have a a, a a, a criminal record
1: yeah. especially a felony criminal record and a lot of marijuana laws were written intentionally with the harsher felony designation right as opposed to like a local misdemeanor right right because uh because that's because the, they wanted to be extra punitive because it was the quote-unquote war on drugs right
0: so, right so this is a very good this is very good news that about 60,000 people are going to have those convictions erased from their records and that's that's great. I mean, it will make a it will make a real difference in their lives. Yeah. Um, so, very cool.
1: Very very cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this last week. Uh since our last podcast we we've been doing like boring home maintenance stuff, but it's it, it, it's great. I painted the front stoop.
1: You did such a good job. It and looks it was great. And so, you know, people when you hear painted the front stoop, I'm sure in your mind you're like, Okay, cool. So what did you do aside from those three hours?
2: <laughs> no, but it you took know a what?
1: Long. It was a huge like restor it was stripping back, rest- restoring and then and then painting. Yeah. And so she did an amazing job. Like she took something that just had like years and years, I mean, maybe decades of like, like the previous owners had done like all this, like putting silicone down to like try to like make water go where they want it to go, but like in a really messy and ugly way. And it's just kind of bad. And she's like, Made it look so gorgeous. It looks maybe like new. It really pops. It looks awesome. Everything is so yeah. crisp, so beautiful. The stoop is black now, coming right up with crisp lines against our white vinyl
0: siding. And the new pumpkin that I got for fall decor, it looks. It just really pops against those black steps. Yeah, I love it.
2: it's real cool. While
0: I was doing that, you were re-staining our deck, which oh, was an man. immense amount of work, but you did a great job. Because
1: I, I sanded the entire top surface too, and it was like this whole complicated thing.
0: Yes, but it looks great. It did looks a great really job. good, and it is now impervious to the rain that we're now having.
1: Woo hoo! So that was great. We did a quick visit down to California to spend Shannon's mom's birthday with her, yeah, because she was by herself, and she had to spend her birthday last year alone because of the pandemic, and we didn't want that to happen again this year. No, and like she also like didn't want to get on a plane, and we didn't feel real great about that either, and so we drove a fifteen hundred mile round trip just to spend her birthday with her. Yes.
0: Real quick, targeted visit, but it was great. I think we really, I think she really loved it. I think we really made, we made her day. We made her month, maybe. She was really grateful that we came. Yeah, it was really cool. And that Uh, felt great to be able to give that to
1: her. It felt great. And we spoiled her rotten on her birthday and it was just really fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we have been promising uh, that later in this first half, we're going to do a, um, a, a, a personal song Spotlight.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm excited about this. I'm excited that we get to do these for y'all uh, in the coming weeks. Um, so I'm going to start with a song that I just did last year. Yeah, um, And so some of you may have heard some of the personal songs that we've done over the years because we've released three personal songs albums. Like every couple of years for a while, we were choosing 10 of our favorites. I mean, they're all our favorites, but Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? 10 that kind of fit together as a nice album together uh, and put them out as an album themselves. So you've, you've potentially heard up to like 30 of these personal songs that we have uh, done for folks, Mm -hmm. but I've done close to 90 of them all told. So there's a lot more that you haven't heard. And um, um, and certainly you haven't heard any that we've done in the last couple of years because the last year we put one of these out, I think was- 2018. Was 2018. There you go. So um, I want to share with you uh, this song uh, that I wrote last year Uh for um, for a couple from California. Uh, the song itself is called The Best Day. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I was actually writing this for um, a, a husband to give to his wife mm-hmm. and um, on, on their anniversary. So this was not a holiday thing. It was a, an anniversary thing. And that that is gonna become important when I tell you the story. But I just wanna give you a little bit of background on what, um, like I interview each of the people who is, who hires me to do one of these songs. I interview with them about the person the song is for. I learn their story. I get into their story and I pick out the elements that seem most important to them and put those things in the song. I tell their story with their thoughts and their emotions into a song. And sometimes she'll pick like a key word or sometimes a phrase
1: or sometimes a couple or a few Mm -hmm. just so if there is specific language that they have evolved as a couple. You know how every couple has like little things you say Oh, yeah. each other or like iconic moments in your relationship where someone said something and it just stuck with you for all time. She'll work those into oh, yeah. the lyrics so when the people hear the song it's like it's literally like anyone could hear it and be like, oh, this is just a nice song. But for them, it it's has like that a little, special
3: meaning. It's like a
0: little personal Easter egg. Yeah. You know, like, oh, that's that's for me. Yeah. And this song had a couple of those. Um, like the song you'll hear it in a moment uh, starts out with the lyric 115, um, which is the date uh, that they first met each other, uh, January fifteenth is what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they specifically say one one five, and it's become sort of like part of their lexicon in their relationship, like referring to that that date in that way. Uh. And so like that begins the song. There's um there's a uh, at the very end of the song there's a reference to having been through heaven and hell, mm-hmm. which is, sounds like like a very like dramatic like almost uh if you, che- almost a cheesy way to say that you've been through it somebody. But in this case, it had to be that lyric because the club that they were at when they met each other was called Heaven and hell, Whoa. like so that was part of their story. So like it, it had a double meaning in the song, like that, that they have been through a lot um, together, uh, really good times and really hard times. Uh, but it also refers specifically to the place where they met, and then also um, it, there's an image in the song that talks about being at the sea's edge toward the end of the song, because um, they they spend their uh, a good portion of their summertime um, on the coast in Maine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: as a family, and their anniversary was, I knew their anniversary was going to be happening during their time in Maine, and that it was very likely that uh, that the, the the husband would give the song to his wife sitting by the, the, the sea in, in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I really got to sort of weave that experience into the song itself, so as now, they listened, it was going to be part of the, the thing. Now, to be
1: perfectly fair, it's an ocean.
0: Okay, that's fine. Fine. <laughs> sure, but I'm the songwriter, so shh. <laughs> also sometimes ocean is appropriate, and sometimes sea. Yeah, like lyrically speaking.
1: Yeah, it's hard to rhyme something with ocean. Uh,
0: motion. Yep. Emotion. Mm-hmm. Notion. Mm-hmm. Would you like more?
1: No, but <laughs> my point is more that like the extra syllables yes. and also the fact that the uh, the accent is on the first of the two. It's true, like, li- like it's hard. In terms of lyrics, that can be more difficult to like work into the phrasing. It's true. Whereas just C,
0: yes. it's just a
1: single little syllable rhymes with everything. It's so true.
0: Uh, anyway, uh, so those are those Easter eggs that, you know, you'll hear these lyrics in the song and to you, they won't make any... They won't be significant in any particular way. But for this couple, the reason that they are personal songs is that it actually is very personal to them. Um, But, you know, uh, I'm I'm not going to tell you their whole story, but basically, the thing that really grabbed me uh, in 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 the writing that I got back from the guy who you know gave the song to his wife, um, the thing that really that I was inspired by was that he shared the idea that that right now their relationship is the best it's ever been, mm. and that they've been through some really hard stuff, like that that they've they've had some a, a rough road. You yeah, know? I mean they
1: went to a nightclub called Heaven and Hell, <laughs> for example.
0: But you know, life happens, grief happens, yeah. loss happens you know growing pains happen and they've been through all that Mm -hmm. but he still said that he thought that right now the relationship is the best it's ever been and I loved that so I kind of took that and ran with it um, for the theme of the song and you're going to hear that uh, that theme as we play it for you Um, so why don't we go ahead and play it what do you think?
1: All right, sounds good here it is
0: This one came out. Um, I have to tell you the response that I got from the guy when uh, after I sent him the song. Can I just read you his quote? He said, OMG, this is amazing. Holy shit, I love it. He said, I stole away, downloaded it to my phone, put it in my earphones and took a walk. I was crying. Thank you so, so much. She's going to love it as I, as I do I. So that was very rewarding.
1: And we heard subsequently from uh, the wife and she absolutely did love it. Yeah. Which is really rewarding because she's actually the person in the relationship who we know better. It's true. Uh, and- uh, and it was just really cool. It was really cool that he reached out to do this. Yeah. He kind of conspired behind her back knowing how much it would mean. She and Shannon have a lo- sort of long history together going back many years. And uh, you know, for him to surprise her... Uh, with this, knowing how much she and Shannon care about one another, and then for Shannon to have hit it out of the park in the way that she did, it was just, it was, re- it was really rewarding and special. Yeah,
0: and you know, honestly, every single one of these are yep. rewarding and special, like that yeah. in their own unique way. Um, it, again, the reason we're playing this for you and tell you the story is that if you're thinking this is something that you would like to do for a loved one, I would love to do this with you. And
1: you've got time. We've actually made it this year so people have time to plan for this. That's
0: right. So, uh, you can send me an email at Shannon at MisfitStars.com, and just let me know that you'd like some more information about the the pricing and the process for doing a personal song for somebody this year.
1: And we cannot wait to make some magic with you.
0: Woo-hoo! I all
1: was right. about to say that, and I realized it was going to sound really corny, so I did it in a silly voice.
0: And it was, Saved it! That's right. There you go. You take the corny and turn up the volume, and it's all of a sudden awesome. <laughs> uh, let's take a short break, and then mm-hmm. we'll come back. And I'm going to tell y'all a bit of my... Recovery origin story. Wow. Whoa. Can't wait. (laughs) See you soon.
1: and this is kind of exciting really (laughs) is it I mean anytime (laughs) Shan's like terrified but that's that's the usual (laughs) dynamic everyone else is excited so excited to hear someone else's story (sighs) that's and that's what we call it in recovery we call it telling your story yeah right uh And it's so exciting to hear someone else's story. And the reason we share them and the reason it's it's exciting is that inevitably you will hear parts of your own journey in someone else's story. And that relatability makes us understand that we're not alone. It also makes us understand that if there's something that we're dealing with that is felt maybe like it's too hard to deal with or like it's shameful Mm. or like there's a barrier there somehow it can help break down those barriers and it can make you feel like if I can relate to this person's story and they're telling me how they have been through a positive journey through it to maybe somewhere on the other side, Mm. maybe I too could make that journey. That's why we share our stories. That's why it's so exciting to hear them. It's also why it can be a little bit nerve wracking to share them. (laughs) Because if you do your share the, the best possible way, you're gonna necessarily like tell some stuff about yourself that's like not the pretty stuff because you don't get into recovery because everything was going great.
0: No, no, no. In fact, that's where I'm going to start because I was trying to figure out where to start with the story. Um, And I I figured that um, a good place to start for me would be uh, there's a scene that comes to my mind when I think about um, kind of a... Where I was at in my in my low some of my lowest mm-hmm. my lowest point you know mm-hmm. lowest time, and the scene is uh, is one that actually I I worked into um, some of the lyrics in the song I know I know, mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, chorus two. Um, I know I know I know I know. Uh, you go through the motions, it's still you can't move. I know, I know, I know, you can see a window, but you can't break through.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I know, I know, I know. Um, I've been there too, you know. Um, and that scene, it, that that the, that that chorus comes from the scene that I see in my mind where I am lying on the couch in my apartment that I shared with my ex-husband Uh uh, in Midtown, or East Sac, Sacramento, near Midtown, Sacramento. Um, there was, we lived on the second story of this apartment building, and outside uh, there was this massive old oak tree. Mm. I mean, I like, you know, very old oak tree, <laughs> uh, reaching up toward the sky. And I would lie on that couch a lot of afternoons, looking out that window, up at that tree, and feeling this sense of there is more out there and I can't reach it. Mm-hmm. And, and in that low place, really feeling trapped, feeling depressed, feeling alone, mm-hmm. um, I might get emotional <laughs> talking yeah, about some of this. that's how
1: Ooh. this goes. I want everyone who's listening to know that it's okay that, Janice getting emotional because like, that's just natural. And I want you to know that it's okay Thank you. too. I appreciate because it. Because it's just, a, it's a thing that happens when we share this stuff about ourselves. Like even if yeah. we've gotten past it, yeah. like it can still just like revisiting it can really put you back there sometimes yeah. and really help bring those emotions up. Definitely. Which I think, I tend to think these days is pretty healthy and good. Yeah. So.
0: Oh, I do too. I do too. I don't often spend time thinking about this moment in my life, but you know, when I'm trying to really describe it to somebody else oftentimes you know really getting in touch with the feelings that i was feeling at that time oh it kind of like you know touches sure, a chord so yeah. you know and here's the thing like that's how i was feeling on the inside and that that scene describes how i felt in my life a lot during those years um but none of my like unsober behavior you know was really all that socially unacceptable So it flew completely under the radar, even my own radar, you know, and that's, that's a tricky part about codependency, uh, which is what I identify as my, my, uh, my issue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, because I felt these feelings on the inside. It's not like I was engaging in uh, the kind of addictive behavior that results in me being like drunk or, you know spun out on drugs or, you know, like I wasn't doing anything, any kind of, and none of these behaviors about, you know, the, the attached to codependency are really anything that can be seen on the outside as something that's a problem. You know what I mean? So like it was all internal stuff and I knew there was something wrong. Actually, I don't know if I knew that something was wrong. I thought that maybe this is just what existence was and it right. was horrible.
1: Because like when I you're a kid... Because you evolved these behaviors from a very young age. Yeah, and when you be- kind of grow up with this sort of stuff, yeah. like you just, you know how it is when you're a kid. You just kind of think that whatever's happened to you is kind of normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not maybe sometimes until you get to much later in life and you sort of realize, wait, all the stuff I experienced when I was younger was deeply... Abnormal
0: but I think that that also applies to experiences we have as adults, like there are sure. experiences we have in our lives that maybe and and this is an example of that. I was experiencing this in my life, and I don't think I realized that this was abnormal or wrong or that really maybe that maybe abnormal or wrong is like putting too much of a judgment on it. I didn't realize that there was a different way right and I, and that this was I figured this was just the way existence was, and mm-hmm. it was awful um so that's a tricky part about codependency, though, is that like there's not these like really obvious outward signs that something is amiss, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it can go under the radar for a long time,
1: um, including in terms of like accountability with your peer group or your support network, sure. Because you know if you're a really bad drunk or strung out on drugs, odds are good at a certain point if it gets really bad, you're going to have people starting to come to you and going hey, man, do you need help?
0: Yeah, no one really ever does an intervention for a codependent. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, for like a hardcore drug addict, yeah. You know, people will like, hey, you know what...
1: They'll physically drag you yeah. into like rehab. Exactly. Like literally physically. Yeah, I'm not like,
0: gonna. I'm not gonna get in trouble with the law because of codependency. No,
1: like <laughs> you know. I, I had to call the cops on a 5150 for an ex-girlfriend of mine right before I got sober. Right. You know what I mean? Like literally, police officers showed up in our apartment right. and took her to a psychiatric hospital for a 72-hour hold. Like that will never happen for codependency. Not really. I mean, which is kind of bad because it can fester way longer without you feeling like there's that overt thing that makes you need to get treatment. Mm-hmm. It's harder to
0: find a bottom sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And harder to recognize it for yourself, you know. Yeah. But so, you know, that's, that's it. All of that stuff, though, it accumulated that, that my unsober behavior, you know, accumulated to a place where I was left feeling like I, like I didn't know who I was. Um, didn't know what I wanted in my life, but I knew that I didn't want what my life was. I didn't want that existence. And yet I felt like I was trapped in that life with no chance for escape. Mm -hmm. Like I I felt totally powerless and I was really unhappy. Um, Two things about that. Uh, One is that I never like seriously contemplated suicide, Mm -hmm. but I did entertain the notion of like, well, what if I just weren't alive anymore? Yeah, you know, I did have those thoughts. It was never a serious contemplation of like, um, how am I going to end
1: my life? You weren't thinking about like how to actually do it, but you were fantasizing about what it would be like if you did do it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, and, what, what it would be like if you didn't have to feel this pressure anymore.
0: Yeah, and and just this you know, pain. entertaining yeah, yeah, entertaining that as an as a, a way to deal with it. Yeah. Um. But also it was really, like the other side of that being unhappy and having these thoughts, like it was also really important to me that nobody knew how I was feeling on the inside. In fact, like, the thing I worked hardest at doing at that time was maintaining this facade of like, I'm happy, I'm doing good, Mm -hmm. everything's fine because I believed that that's what I was supposed to be. Like I believed, and I'm gonna get more into why I had that belief Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and when I describe sort of like how I came to this state of being. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, so, so, Anyone who knew me at that time in my life would never have said Shannon's an unhappy person. I don't think they would have, unless they were very intuitive and maybe also codependent themselves. Maybe had recovered and could see the signs of of codependency in me that I couldn't even see at the point at that point. You you, know what I mean?
1: You and I can pick them out of a crowd these days.
0: That's true. So, but there probably were people who were like, "Oh, the poor dear." But mostly, mostly, I think that um, people saw me as being very jovial. Um, extroverted and social and smiley and laughs a lot and not any of the things that you would describe as being characteristics of a very unhappy person. Mm -hmm. But I was very unhappy. Um, So what had gotten me to that point? Um, There are, I identified four things here that I believe got me to that point where I was staring at the window with that tree in my apartment.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there was a tree in your apartment.
0: Outside my apartment. <laughs> oh. um, part of it, I think, is maybe just the way my brain is put together. You know, like I think it's likely that there's some hardwired part of my personality that is people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's probably part of it. I, I don't know that as scientific fact, but, you know, I know that we are all wired different ways in terms of our personalities, how much of that is nature and how much of that is nurture, I don't really know. But mm-hmm. I allow for the the fact that, that that maybe is part of just how I'm made, mm-hmm. you know. The second part of it is um, that it was definitely learned behavior and coping skills specifically that I developed from acting my role in my family of origin. And uh, there were like a few different parts of that for me. One is that I... I, I, I learned that I could be the good girl I, my role in my family was being the good girl yeah and I learned that by doing that I could I felt like I was maybe counteracting the chaos that was brought into the home by um other people in the home <laughs> hmm. uh you know my uh, my relationship with my dad dad was pretty fraught when i was a kid um he wasn't really there for us um to put it mildly yeah um and you know he is he has he has since made an apology for for that and i am really deeply grateful for that Mm -hmm. um but he was pretty absent from my life as a kid and um and would come and go, and and not be interested in my activities, and that that I, I felt like maybe if I could be good, that maybe he would be there more. You like know? he would
1: like you better if you were more likable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because um, it wasn't
1: just that he was absent; it's also that the times that he wasn't absent, he was sort of a malign presence, you right, know, and, right. and was specifically actively uninterested, like sometimes performatively uninterested in the stories you've told me about mm-hmm. like your life. I mean, I recall yeah. you t- sharing a story with me about you sharing something you're really proud of with him and him just being outright abjectly dismissive to your face of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. that, so it wasn't just that he wasn't there; it's that when he was there, sometimes there was cruelty, and yeah. it was a really hard thing for you to deal with as a little person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you know, the good girl kind of. Also, my parents' relationship was awful. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't have a single memory of them being affectionate with each other, um, and and that's just you know uh, an outward sort of indication of the the tremendous strife that existed in their relationship. And you know, like I have. I have lots of memories of like having to stay sort of sequestered in my room because they were having a talk in the the living room or, and there was lots of crying and often yelling and and went on for hours. And, you know, so that there was that, you know, chaotic element. And my sister also uh, brought a lot of chaos into the home too. She, I, I, I think probably in retrospect now I can see that, that, Probably from a very young age, she was dealing with some pretty severe depression and anxiety as a little mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, but the result of that was that she acted out a lot. I think, you know, um, yeah. I know that it, that it was hard for my mom uh, it was hard for me too, and so all those things. You know, I'm not. I'm not listing any of these things to blame my codependency on anyone else. That is not the mm-hmm. purpose of this, because it's not anyone else's fault. Uh, but it is. Uh, it is the fact of those things in my life and in my experience. Those things I, I, I had as a little person to figure out how to cope mm-hmm. with being in that environment, and I learned skills. I learned. I learned how to be a good girl. Um, as a way to sort of like what I thought was counterbalancing that chaos. Yeah. That's how I, I, I thought that's what I was bringing to the table was yeah. like, if I can be extra good, then maybe all this other hard stuff that's happening over here won't feel so bad for everybody.
1: Like if you can help make people feel happy, they won't feel as sad. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, this is what in recovery we refer, we refer to as causes and conditions. Mm-hmm. That's a really common expression that mm-hmm. you'll hear over and over if you if you go through the rooms. Uh, and, you know, we have to identify what the causes and conditions are in our lives so we can figure out what our relationship to them was and what mm-hmm. our personal involvement was and what our personal responsibility was in terms of how we dealt with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like you identify the causes and conditions first and then you're like, well, what was someone else's part of that and then you're like what was my part of that and then you take that last bit the what was my part and that's what you actually work on to process this stuff so it doesn't have a hold on you anymore yeah
0: totally Um, some of of those coping skills um, you know I learned that uh, as a little girl I learned that performing well in school and in my piano lessons and in sports and Mm -hmm. whatever endeavor I did if I performed well that that got me praise yeah and that felt good. So I learned as an early age how to get praise and that it felt good and it met a need that I had. And so I learned how to continue performing well to keep getting that praise. <laughs> this is foreshadowing. I will talk more about this in a moment. Um, I also uh, learned in my uh, family of origin, I learned how to fake the fact that our family was perfect for the outside world. Yeah, right. Um you know, and this is going to be related to another part of what got me to this point, and that I'm going to talk about in a moment regarding um, my life growing up in the church. Um, but I think it was really important for uh, my parents. I, you know, maybe my mom in particular. I don't know. Maybe my dad too. I'm not sure. But that we had to pre- we had to present. It was never it was never like expressly communicated that I was supposed to keep this perfect facade, it was kind of like implied. Yeah. That we didn't air our dirty laundry. We don't talk about stuff that is that that is going wrong. Um, everybody thinks that we're a great family and they mm-hmm. all, they did. Like mm-hmm. we were, everyone thought that this family was a great family um, without seeing behind the curtain of what was actually happening, you mm-hmm. know, and all the strife that we were experiencing but i it was an implied thing that i was supposed to fake that everything was fine mm-hmm. and um you know i actually remember the first time i i told a youth leader like a youth counselor person um about some of the strife in my house and i felt like i was betraying my family you know right sure um so It's got that
1: mafios, that that mafia-esque code of silence. Totally,
0: totally, yeah. Yeah. So that was part of it. Part three, I told you there were part four parts. So um, part three was, I think I also probably, uh, part of it is a learned behavior from watching how my mom handled her life. And it's not so much what I learned in my family of origin as as just like the modeling of somebody else. Sure. You know, um, who was figuring out how to cope with her own life. And I think that she probably has some of the same tendencies that I do. And I learned some of them from her. Um, And then the fourth part was that I think that part of my codependency is learned behavior from how I internalized the message of the church growing up. Um, My family was part of... um, fairly conservative evangelical churches as throughout my youth. Mm-hmm. And I, I continued in that tradition um, into my 20s. Um, and, you know, th- there are several parts to this part of it. And it's, I think it's important for me to break down this a little bit because it's really, I, I, I don't want to ever make blanket statements about like all church does this to people because I don't think that's true. I think that everybody's experience is different. I'm only speaking to my own experience. And, um, I have talked with lots of people over the years. When I've come sort of come out and talked about my experience with the church um, in this way, I have heard from so many people who am like, oh my gosh, me too. And it's one of those things that nobody ever talks about because it's not really encouraged to right? talk about, you know. Right. But there's, part, there's, there's a few parts to this, elements of this, you know, the, the first is that, um, that I internalize this message that I am, and as all humans are in this doctrine, that I am unworthy because I am sinful <laughs> by my very nature. And by my very nature, I am in need of forgiveness. I am unwhole, all, all on my own. That's a hell of a um, thing to
1: put on someone without a fully developed frontal lobe.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, even though the church, you know, says that in the preaching, they say that grace is what saves you from this state. um, uh, they, they say that, but the message that I internalized based on the actual lived experience of being in the church was <laughs> that the church also expects a certain behavior from its members. Like it expects them to stay in line. And and the way that I knew, learned that is that there was some pretty harsh judgment that people in the church bestowed on others who stepped out of line. Yeah, you right. know, there's, it was a, the most judgmental environment I've ever been part of. Um,
1: not as much grace as advertised?
0: No, 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 no. Grace is preached, but it's not actually like practiced, mm.
2: you know?
0: Um like just social ostraciza- ostracization. Is that did I say that right?
1: Ostracization.
0: Ostracization. Social ostracization for people who quote unquote sinned, mm. you know, or who weren't acting like Christians. You know, mm. like and Uh, You know, people talking behind other people's backs about that, you know, sometimes veiled in in very Christian-y language, like, oh, we should really pray for so-and-so because they dot, dot, dot. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so it's like... Where
1: the dot, dot, dot is gossip.
0: No, uh, the, yeah, the, the, it was gossip about some something that they're judging this person for. Right. But they're cloaking their gossip in, in this language of "we should pray for so and so" because they need to cloak it in like something that seems more pure than actual just gossip right. and judgment.
1: Because only God can judge, actually.
0: Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but you know, the, the message I internalized from all of that experience was that I'm just no good all on my own, and that I need to perform goodness mm-hmm. to avoid the pain of that judgment. Um, and this is very this is a very important part of it. I think that that a lot of my codependence behaviors derive from me trying to avoid the pain of something. Mm. <laughs> and I think that in this case it was to avoid the pain of judgment from others. Um, and and I just knew on the inside I could never measure up to the standards that I thought was expected of me. Uh, I always thought I was doing it wrong in the church. Even as an adult, like I was just completely an imposter, Yeah. you know? Um, I also learned from my church experience uh, that I can't trust my own instincts. (laughs) And I can't trust my own instincts because I am a sinful being. I am Hmm. impure. (laughs) Hmm. And instead, what I ought to do is trust the direction of the church, of the leaders, of the, you know, what other people are telling me is the right thing for me to do. So I learned early on how to give away my power. Right. And, and, and I learned that I was expected to give my power away to this authority, that I that I could not trust myself to have agency of my own life. Um, so I learned that, that pattern of giving away.
1: What a deeply unhealthy thing to learn.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> um, I also learned that... Uh, the evidence of someone who is living a godly life is Mm -hmm. that they are bearing fruit and this was like you know this is an early lesson that I learned uh, it taught me how to perform the facade like Mm. I learned early on that like I want people to think I'm living a godly life because that's what I'm trying to aspire to. That's what's going to get me the praise that I need, the acceptance that I crave. That's going to keep me from the pain of the judgment that I fear.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and so I need to show that I'm bearing fruit in my life. That I'm, these are, this is evidence that I'm clearly living a very godly life. And so I learned early on how to fake it. Right. I learned early on how to construct and maintain a facade that would lead people to believe that I am something on the inside that I actually was not.
1: Which is ironic, because if you think about it, that's not actually bearing fruit, that's lying. And lying is a (laughs) sin.
0: Totally. And the, the final thing regarding the church and what I learned there is uh, just around the role of women. Um, you know, that uh, the role of women in the church tradition that I grew up in was to be um, a, a subservient, you know, to be, to, to remain, uh, we were kind of second class citizens to the men in the church, you know? Sure. Like for instance, my mom um, did ministry work for a long, long time. She's thinking about this she, example. She... Um, She essentially did pastoring work, and people really loved and the work that she did with them. She led women's Bible studies, and she did you know, pastoral counseling with people, and she did the work of a pastor. But the churches that we were part of would never, would never call her a pastor. She would not be able to become ordained because somehow that was not that was a, a status that was not available to women so like the the role of women in in this tradition was always second class to men and subserving it to men and deferring to men and deferring to others you know we were suppo- women are supposed to have a servant's attitude toward other people and so that was part of my what I internalized from the church so those are all, you know, and I, I there's probably I could probably talk about this for like three hours about this stuff that led me to the point of my my lowness mm-hmm. in my my codependency and realizing that something was really wrong um in my life. But you know, add all of those things up and here are the things that characterize my codependency. And of course I didn't have the language for any of this before going to Coda, mm-hmm. which is short for Codependence Anonymous, which is my recovery program.
1: It's like AA, but for codependency. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So here are the things that characterize my codependency. I'm just going to break this down. I based the entirety of my self-worth on the acceptance, approval, and praise I received from others.
1: Hmm. That seems fraught.
0: Yeah. When I didn't get those things, I felt very low, very worthless, and hopeless. Hmm. So in service of getting the fix of those things in my daily life, I had to make sure that people were constantly feeling good about me. Mm. In service of getting people to feel good about me, I constantly deferred to other people's wants and wishes, burying my own desires in subjugation to everyone else, especially the people I thought had the best chance of giving me what I needed. Mm. Mm. So in service of deferring to others, (laughs) I routinely carved out parts of my own identity and put on pieces of other people's identity to more easily assume a role I thought would be pleasing to them. Mm. And in service of giving away my own sense of identity, I totally lost my sense of self. I no longer knew who I was I was unable to make even simple decisions for myself. Like, (laughs) what do I want to order off of a menu? Mm -hmm. I couldn't decide. I found myself in a life that I knew deep down I didn't actually want. Mm -hmm. And yet I felt entirely powerless to do anything about it because my sense of worthiness as a human relied on me maintaining the flow of those fixes that I needed. Right. So I felt like I was just trapped.
1: Well, you're addicted
0: to him. You're an addict. Yep. Yeah. So I would I would later learn in the program that even though uh, people pleasing sounds like on the on the surface like it's some humble and selfless exercise. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not. It's no. actually and I'm speaking from my own experience here. For me, I would learn that pretty much 100% of people-pleasing is actually manipulation.
1: Yeah. for
0: For the sake of meeting my own perceived needs. It's completely selfish.
1: I'm glad you said that because that's like really the thing that's really important to point out here is that it's not just something that affects you. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not just something that causes internal turmoil, you know, uh, inside you because you're cutting off parts of yourself and being untrue to who you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's also that you're jerking people around. Oh yeah, and you're being dishonest with them, and you're manipulating them.
0: Right, which which means that I can't have like authentically good relationships. No, if if everybody you also can't and... have
1: authentically bad relationships. <laughs> you like you can't have authentic relationships, period. It's true, because they're all based on a mirage.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like there's a there's a difference between like um, being of service to somebody mm-hmm. with and doing so with healthy boundaries and a sense of your own self and all that. Like that's a good thing, yeah. right? People pleasing in this sense is the opposite of that. It is not. It is self serving. It is not. It is not in service of others. No, you know. Um, and one of the biggest pieces of evidence that I can point to in my life that it that it is. That's, that's, that people pleasing is not this like ideal mm-hmm. <laughs> is that when I didn't get what I needed from somebody that I had, I had tried to manipulate to give me those good feelings that I needed mm-hmm. then the resentment was powerful. Sure. Like that's not a healthy relationship. You can't have healthy relationships if this is your mentality. I could not have healthy relationships with anyone including myself with this, with this mentality. Um, so you know, I, I'm. This is all the notes I took for today. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I I felt like this was enough to sort of like start with. I don't even know if we'll continue, but like I just felt like this was a good place to to stop for today. When I did first go to the Coda website, when mm-hmm. this friend a friend of mine had suggested this to me, um that I go check this out, that maybe it would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was as close to an intervention as I got. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, it was actually just helpful, friendly, loving advice. But yeah. um, I, you know, I I went to, to coda.org again today just to see what their website looks like these days. And they have a section on the front page, if you scroll down a little bit, that says, what is codependence? And I thought it would be helpful. You know, I went there to, just because I thought it would be helpful to read sort of a definition of codependence. Um, But after, you know, kind of like bullet pointing my story, I read this definition and I just kind of laughed to myself because it says this... Somewhere along the line, we learned to doubt our perception, (laughs) discount our feelings, and overlook our needs. We looked to others to tell us what to think, feel, and behave. Other people supplied us with information about who we were and should be. It became more important to be compliant or avoidant rather than to be authentic. And we adopted rigid beliefs about what should be. We believed that if we could just get it right things would be okay. (laughs) When we got it wrong, our sense of security and self-worth evaporated. (laughs)
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) It's like a textbook definition. And, you know, I wanted to address the notion that like a lot of times the word codependency is used to describe people who are in relationship with people who are addicts. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, how the term got gained. It's sort of like um, notoriety, uh, was is you know people who are in relationship with the addicts? I don't. I mean, I am now in a relationship with a recovering addict. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time when I when I recognized my need for recovery and when I recognized my own codependency, I was not in a relationship with an addict, and I never had been in a relationship with an addict. Mm-hmm. That was not part of my story. Um, but all of these things, all these coping skills, all these behaviors, all these learned learned things in my life, um, they don't necessarily derive from a relationship with an addict. They can derive from other life circumstances as well, sure. the ones that I described, yeah. you know, earlier. And um, so that's my origin story, yeah. really. Um, I... Uh, I I, I, I ended up sharing, you know, in coming to grips with this idea that, that perhaps I had an issue with codependency, um, I shared it, ironically, with a, a small group of women from my church. <laughs> Some of the stuff that I was grappling with, um, I was really, this is the stuff I was dealing with on the inside, I shared with them, but, you know, more externally as well. Um, I had... I had shared with them, you know, uh, the the deep uh, uh, doubts I had had about the faith tradition that I was part of. Mm-hmm. I really had come to a place where I didn't really think that I believed that anymore. Um, that was a complicating factor because I was married at the time to somebody who was a pastor <laughs> um, of our very small church, and um, and so you know, me, you know, for for a long time you know, first doubting and then not believing uh, the sort of the theology, the doctrine of this church, showing up every Sunday to lead music. Huh. <laughs> you know, it really, I, I was really well qualified for the job because I had years and years of practice of, of uh, building and maintaining a facade that was fake. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so
0: I, I faked it real well, I think yeah. for a long time, but I shared sort of what was going on, had this sort of breaking moment. Where I realized I had to be, I had to be public about what was going on internally, and I shared this with a small group of women that I met with. And um, one of them had recently begun AA, and she shared with me her experience there, and very lovingly and gently pointed me in the direction of Coda. And I, I went home that very same day and um, and searched online for you know uh, for what Coda was all about they had like a quiz like here's take this quiz to see if you might be codependent and I like aced the test and yes. so I, I went to a meeting and you know and the rest is history um, and, and maybe, maybe the rest is part of a story that I'll continue telling at some point mm-hmm. but this was this is kind of where I decided to stop for the origin story today just to, you know to describe where where this all came from for me and how it manifested in my life and how I knew I needed to do something different well thank you for
1: sharing that with us all yeah And people, if you're listening to this and you're, like, resonating with some of it, I mean, first of all, that's good. Hearing someone share their story and hearing parts of your own story in it is how we relate to one another, you know? It's a very deep thing. If you're relating to this and you're specifically thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I wonder if I have some codependent tendencies that maybe I need to look at in my life. That CODA checklist that Shannon was referring to is a great place to start. Uh, and you, it's, it's actually kind of hard to find these days on the CODA.org website. It used to be right on the front page back in the day. Uh, but now if you just Google code a checklist, the very first result is the one you want. Uh, it's called Patterns and Characteristics. <laughs> yeah. And it's broken up into just a few subject headings. And you can just, there's denial patterns, low self-esteem patterns, compliance patterns, control patterns, and avoidance patterns. And there's just a bunch of bullet points under each one. And if you're reading down that thing and you're like, yeah, I identify with most of this. Well, there's also a link on that page where you can find a meeting.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where you go and you listen to other people's stories and they they share their experience and you're like oh yeah me too and you find like I did you know going to my first meeting I I heard people describing their stories and they everybody's origin story is is different yeah but there are common characteristics about them there even even if someone's origin story was vastly different than mine there were. Things that emerged from that story in their, in how they coped for their lives that I really resonated with. I really understood.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And also then hearing those people who had been in recovery for, for a lot longer, who had done the work, done the work, the steps, you know, and seeing that they had serenity in mm-hmm. their lives. And I knew I didn't have that. I like, I, 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 I identified with their story. Yeah, me too. I saw their serenity and I'm like, nope, I don't have that. But I want it. <laughs> but I want it. Yeah. And that's what kept me coming back. And, um,
1: and eventually to do the work, right? Because yeah. to be really clear, going to meetings isn't how you fix what's going wrong with right. you. Uh, it's doing the work. Yeah. You go to the meetings for those things that Shannon was describing, that shared experience, that sense that you're not alone, that fellowship, you know? Yeah. Uh, the inspiration, but the work is a personal job. I mean, you do it yourself. You have someone called a sponsor that it's just someone who's been around longer than you, who has done it themselves and they walk you through it. Like someone walked them through it. That's all. Uh, It's just done. And it's, it's an orderly thing. You do it step by step. There are 12 steps. That's why these are called 12 step programs. Um, and to be super clear, it's not a religiously based thing. Mm. Uh, you know, AA was the first one of these types of, pro- of programs and all of these other ones are just AA with a different skin, right? Mm. Um, CODA is just AA practiced in a way specific to codependency. And NA is just AA practiced with a, s- a bent that's specific to people who struggle with narcotic abuse. Yeah, And there's a whole bunch of different ones. They were invented by a couple of guys uh, AA was invented by a couple of guys who did have Christian one of them had a Christian background one of them very much didn't right <laughs> um, they understood that there were elements of there were parts of the language around some of this stuff that came from like their religious background that was useful, and so... Like if, the concept of God. Yeah, 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 which they just use as a placeholder, kind of, for the idea that, like, so many of us have control issues. I mean, like it says right here on the checklist for Coda, like... There are control patterns, (laughs) right? And same in AA. We have uh, anyone who is struggling with addiction, there's a control issue there at the root of it. You know, oftentimes we do the behaviors to try to re-exert control when we feel like we are lacking control or power in yep. our own lives, yep. you know? We feel powerless for some reason or other. And so we do some kind of twisted behavior where we can control something, yeah. you know? And really it's, it's you have to get your head around the idea that you can't control everything. And they use the word God in all the literature and like talking about it, but it's kind of a small G idea of God, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful for people. Like I'm an atheist, you know what I mean? I have evolved a sense of spirituality that's really totally kind of based in the idea of a higher power that I learned in AA. Mm-hmm. But you'll find so many atheists in any kind of sobriety program. AA, Nene, NA, Gamblers Anonymous, like Food Anonymous, you know, anywhere you go.
0: And I think I've, we also experience a lot of people who do have a very, uh, a cherished religious tradition in their own lives. Mm-hmm. that They very seamlessly marry with the traditions and, yeah. and steps and 12-step recovery. Yeah, you can
1: really lean on that if that's yeah. your background mm-hmm. and you can do it in a healthy way. The point Although, is, you can
0: come to it as you are. Like, yeah. It's not anyone trying to make you believe something that you're not. That
1: I really That's what I was getting yeah. at. I really want to lean on that idea. Like, you'll hear especially like the word God is a massive trigger for a lot of people and it turns a lot it of people off. It was for me off. too. It was for Shannon yeah. and it was for me. I walked in the door, I'm like, well, I'm not doing any religious shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, I, fortunately I fell in very quickly with a bunch of people who were like, oh, don't worry about that. I'm an atheist too. It's just a placeholder, you know? Yeah. And that's really helpful. Like my first sponsor was like, don't think about it like a bearded guy in the sky. Like think about it like G-O-D, like an acronym, group of drunks. The idea being that like a room full of people trying to help each other stay sober is a power greater than you you one person Yeah, you know what I mean and that was helpful for me it's like oh yeah I get that it's like there's a power greater than me around mm-hmm. me and it doesn't have to be religious at all it's just that I'm not in charge of everything Yeah, you know mm-hmm. because you try to be in charge of anything when you're struggling with stuff like this sometimes yeah. you yeah. know and I just want to put that out there if there's anyone listening to this who's like yeah I could really stand to do a house cleaning I really need to unburden myself with some of this stuff but I've heard AA is religious I've heard code is religious and I'm, I can't do it It's not you'll be fine. Just share that with the person who's trying to help you and they'll help you work around it like someone helped me work around it.
0: Yeah, and I also want to say just really with regard to CODA, um, they and they say this at the beginning of every meeting too, it's on the front of their website as well, the only requirement for membership is a desire for healthy and loving relationships.
1: Yeah. That's it. And that's what they say in aa too. at the top of the meeting. They say the only desire for membership, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like, you can show up at an, AA meeting, drunk, and like people do. I was on a Zoom meeting with someone who was visibly drunk. You know what I mean? And they, but they owned it up. Yeah, they they were like, "I am. I'm drunk right now, but I'm I'm here because I don't want to be. I want to change. And it's that desire, that desire to change this unhealthy behavior that you're engaging in. That's what buys you your seat in the meeting. Yep, that's it. That's That's all you have to have. So, you know. If it sounds to you like mm-hmm. something that you want in your life, well, then you can have it. Yeah, you can go explore it. That's all. Yeah,
0: I want to say uh, also, you know, having just described my experience of fearing the judgment that my in my church growing up, mm-hmm. um, when I got into the Coda rooms, it was uh, the, the grand irony, and I had left the church by the time I started doing Coda. Mm-hmm. Was that I I showed up in those rooms? And felt like, oh my gosh, if church had been this accepting and non-judgmental, maybe my experience would have been <laughs> different there. Like it was all, it was all the things that 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 I thought that maybe uh church says it wants to be or, or pretends to be, yeah. <laughs> or at least my experience of it, I should say. Yeah. But you know, like I it was, it was a very just incredibly accepting non-judgmental place, which is what I needed Mm -hmm. to be able to undo, start undoing the layers of of unhealthy coping mechanisms that I needed undoing. Yeah. And, you
1: know, I also want, as part of this discussion, to be really clear about the idea that, like, not all church is bad. Like, you and I have been to church experiences, you know, post-sobriety, post you getting out of the church, post, I've always been atheist. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that continues. But, you know... Like we have some friends in Fort Worth, Texas uh, who are pastors of a church there and we randomly have been to a couple of their services because we have friends who we do house concerts with there who brought us. And they're wonderful. And their church services are great. And I liked them yeah. because it was really like humanist in nature. And it was just talking about shared experience mm-hmm. and like how we can help each other be better and and have a more happy life. And like, I can relate to that a lot. Mm-hmm. And if it's delivered with love and joy, yeah. then that's like a really positive thing. And you can build community. That's all good. There are also flavors of church that are incredibly coercive, manipulative, and very toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, you experienced one of those sadly as a kid, which is kind of what helped get you down this path. But, you know, I don't want to talk empower them all with the same brush, right? Like not every experience is the same. And uh, we have friends who are church people who are doing it in a super healthy way that seems real good to me. And that's fine.
0: We have a a dear friend, uh, John Pavlovitz, Mm -hmm. who is a pastor. um, And he has a new book that just came out this week. Yes. And you should order it. It says, the title is, If God is Loved, Don't Be a Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. I'm looking forward to reading his book. So uh, there's an example of somebody who who does uh, the religious thing, uh, in my opinion, right? Quite well. Yeah, he does it right. In a very compassionate, loving way. Yeah. Yeah, so there's my origin story. Thanks for sharing that, sweetheart. Thank you for listening. And y'all, if you have any thoughts, questions, responses feelings to share (laughs) Mm -hmm. we would love to hear them Uh, you can message either one of us Um, I'm Shannon at MisfitStars.com Jamie is Jamie at Mm -hmm. MisfitStars.com we would .com yeah it is .com sorry I had a brain fart yeah yeah. please message one of us if you're a member of MisfitStars and you'd like to message one of us in the private social network you can do that if you have something you want to share um Uh, on the podcast post uh, publicly. In the, in, the, in the social network. Um, we would love more to see Or on Facebook
1: also? Yeah, please yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Please do.
0: Please do that. Um, but we would love to engage your thoughts and feelings and questions about this if you have them. So yeah. feel and free.
1: And, you know, sometimes it can feel safer for uh, a woman to message a woman and for a man to message a man, you know? So, like, if you're a guy and you're hearing this and you're like, I love what Shan had to say. I've got some stuff I want to talk about, but I would feel more comfortable talking with a guy about it. You can message me. Too. It's fine. And if you're a woman, Absolutely. message Shannon, yeah. or vice versa. But whatever we're makes you— we're both here. Yeah, whatever makes you the most comfortable is great for us.
2: Yes.
0: So um, we have we've we've covered the gamut today. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to do your origin story next week? I'm into that. Okay. So next week we're going to do Jamie's origin story, um, recovery origin story, and uh, in the meantime, uh, if you're not yet a member of Misfit Stars and you're enjoying this podcast and it is bringing something into your life that you find good and valuable uh, we encourage you to go become a member of Misfit Stars and support this podcast missfitstars.com slash support yeah we are so grateful for the support that all of you give us who are already members um, and so grateful for the just the, the love and encouragement and richness that you bring to our lives by being part of our community thank That's you true. so much yeah um, so uh, we'll be back next week. And until then, uh, please take good care of yourselves Mm -hmm. and be good to each other. Yeah. We love you all. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye.